0: This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. This weekend is Father's Day. So Dave and I are going to reflect on some lessons our dads taught us about the great outdoors and how we've applied those to fly fishing. Neither one of our dads were fly fishers, but they both hunted and fished, and they were true outdoorsmen. And so many of the skills that we've applied to fly fishing were skills that our dads taught us in the great outdoors. And this podcast is our way of saying to them and to you, Happy Father's Day. Dave, tell me about your dad, uh, where he lived and what he liked to do in the outdoors, or I should say tell your listeners about your dad because I know him well, and uh, we're grateful that uh, he is still living and doing
1: well. There are three things that we have absolutely no control over and, uh, in our life. One is who our parents are uh, and whether they stayed together. The second is how they treated us growing up. And the third is how long we have them. And uh, even as we talk about this today, it's hard for me to talk about this because your father left us how many years ago? Yeah, it's been 18 years ago. 18 years ago, and I knew yeah. your father well. And, in fact, I was with him uh, a few months before he died. I think he died in, was it December or Jan? No, it was August. was I was, right, I was I, Yeah, it was August. Yeah, I was with him probably uh... eight months before he died but he i remember seeing him laying on the couch uh... down in lakin and, and uh... i was out there for to, to visit a, a a prospect in uh, i think it was at bradley university so uh... so even as i say this um my father is still alive and i have no control over that and i'm very very grateful for that so just yesterday just to tell you a story uh my dad calls me at about 11 o'clock he says hey dave i'm out fishing with ike and clayton at uh, horsehead lake he said and i said so how's fishing he said we already got six beautiful beautiful northern pike he said i i caught a seven pounder so he's so excited and he's talking to me and then he goes dave i gotta go i got a bite and that was the end of the call so <laughs> that's a great illustration uh, of, of, of my father, example of my father. So my, my dad is now 85 years old, and in a couple months he'll be 86. He started out as a rancher in South Dakota. My grandfather and he worked together on a ranch And in 1968, he left ranching to be a pastor. He felt called into ministry. He had gone to school when he was younger, but then had returned to the farm or the ranch. And then he was a pastor for really six years. And then after that, he took over a nonprofit organization that uh, was a fundraising organization that helped uh, raise money for missional organizations, and he did that for the rest of his life, or at least I should say the rest of his working career up until 65, and then after that, he took on another one, so he retired from one organization, (laughs) and then a year later, he took on another little struggling one, so he did that until he was 82, I think it was just a couple years ago, or several years ago that he stopped doing that, but, so my dad, and and before I stop and get to your father, I just wanna say, so, our experiences in hunting and fishing and the outdoors are so different um, because my father uh, grew up in rural South Dakota and I grew up, I didn't live there that, that much. I, I went there in the summers and stuff. But so when you are a rancher and you have land, you always have a, and, a, you, and if you're interested in hunting, uh, you always have a shotgun or a rifle in your, in your truck. And and so during hunting season, if you're hunting on your land and you see a big buck, you'll shoot that if because you have a land gratis permit, right? And so uh, another example would be hunting geese. So Dad tells a story once he was uh, there's a there's a stock dam about uh, about a mile away from our family ranch, and. And it's it's surrounded by prairie, so there's no way to sneak up on the stock dam. But one early November, it was a blustery day and there were geese that were swirling around. These were northern uh, Canadian geese that were uh, in the central flyway on their way south. And it was a blustery day. He could see them from uh, from from the from the ranch and he goes, man, I'm going to see if I can sneak up on them. So quickly, he realized he couldn't sneak up on them. so he got the horse rode within 100 yards of the of the stock dam and then got off the horse and then angled the horse towards the stock dam so that they couldn't see him so the geese could only see uh, see the horse by that time they had settled into the stock dam and he jumped out or jumped out around the horse and shot you know, two geese and one shot. So you got one shot off and shot two in one. So, I mean, those are the stories growing up about hunting. And so I grew up in that environment. And 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 so my dad loved the outdoors and it was just a part of his life and then became a part of my life.
0: Well, I love the way that he called you yesterday, right in the middle of that experience. That is so <laughs> cool. That is so cool. And I can hear your dad and his uh, his joy on the phone. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh,
1: that's awesome! Tell tell me about your dad. Now, your dad, uh, as we mentioned, he died 18 years ago. Do you remember the last hunt that you went with, uh, that you went on with him?
0: Oh man, yeah, it would have been, it would have been uh, before he and my mom moved back from Montana to uh, Illinois, and we were, uh, yeah, we were hunting. Uh, was it a Thanksgiving, might have been a Thanksgiving morning, and you know, this is what I really remember about my dad, one of the things, we were, it was a Thanksgiving morning, and you know, he drove up from, uh, you know, the house that we built and lived in, you know, in the north end of Montana's Gallatin Valley, and there was a ranch where I had permission to hunt, it was about five miles from the house, we drove up there, and Uh, we got out of a truck and, and we, you know, we're crossing, we crossed a fence and, uh, you know, as as we're, I mean, the whole, the whole area is gamey. We knew we could run into deer at any moment, but, uh, it's, it's not quite, well, it was, it was shooting light, but as we're, we're heading up this ridge, uh, we see like five deer, uh, you know, on this ridge, and one of them was a really nice buck, and we looked at that, and my dad, you know, right away said, says, man, I know I'm confident I can take that down, you know, with one shot, but I'm I'm just not going to shoot. We just don't shoot at anything that's on a skyline, because, you know, and he didn't have to explain the rest. I mean, we all know if if you miss that, uh, who knows where that uh, bullet is going to go, and I, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, because I haven't thought about that in a long time, Dave. But, yeah, that, that's kind of one of my last memories of hunting with him, that, uh, uh, you know, we do this, uh, we're, we're going to do it right. We're going to not just honor the game laws for the sake of game laws. And, and that, I don't know that <laughs> you go back in the regulations, I don't know if that's even stated anywhere, but it just, it's just just common sense. You know, for safety, you're not going to shoot at something that's that's on a skyline because uh, if, if you miss, who knows where that bullet's going to go so yeah that was that was the last time and he moved back to illinois and and he he died at uh well like two months shy of his 63rd birthday and and uh yeah that, that was really hard but so my dad grew up in pennsylvania and new york state uh lived in rural communities and he learned to hunt white tails man my grandfather was a uh, Great white-tail deer hunter, and my dad learned that. He, he learned to fish, but never fly-fished. And my dad uh, became a pastor. He eventually was the executive director of a mission organization, and and that's when we moved to uh, Illinois right before my school year. So we we lived in Illinois, and we, you know, we hunted pheasants, we hunted ducks, but mainly, you know, we were big game hunters. Uh, we hunted white tailed deer. Uh, both in Illinois and Pennsylvania, uh, hunted antelope. We'd go out and hunt antelope in Wyoming. And then my folks moved to Montana. Well, I was in grad school in Portland, Oregon, and my dad added elk hunting to his skill set. And my folks lived, you've you've been there, you were there many times, they lived right on the Yellowstone River. I mean, like 100 yards from the Yellowstone River. in Paradise Valley, south of Livingston. And my dad fished some, but he was, uh, you know, he was fishing spinners and throwing lures and uh, didn't fly fish. But uh, so, you know, we we always uh, lived around, you know, these areas hunting, fishing, mainly hunting, though was a big uh, part of our lives. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of what you and I want to talk about today. What are some lessons that our dad's, taught us that uh, you know about the great outdoors and we we've applied these to fly fishing in various ways but they're they're also life lessons as well so uh, uh yeah what are what are some of those lessons that we've learned dave
1: one of the big life lessons for me has been the value of male friendships so some families are closed systems in the sense of it's our family we celebrate together Uh, it's only us, uh, is very tight among the family members. I mean, there's probably a lot of families in which they're not tight at all, (laughs) but in terms of hunting, uh, a lot of closed systems, it's family and that's it. And that just has not been the case, uh, in my growing up with hunting. So I've mentioned this many times, but every year for the last 40 plus years, uh, I've gone back, I have never missed a fall. We go back and we hunt all sorts of waterfowl, geese, ducks, you name it, and pheasants, up any other upland game such as sharp tailed grouse, but it's always with other men. And 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 so it wasn't only a family only tradition. Just the call yesterday, my dad was with Ike, who's about eighty two, Clayton is about eighty four, and my dad is eighty six. I'm thinking should those three guys be out there at that age, you know, (laughs) but, but that's how it's always been. And there's always been many men. So often our hunting parties are between five and 10. So it doesn't just include my brother doesn't just include, you know, one of my sons or one, or my, one of our children, it includes other people. And that was so really, really important as I look back on our lives. And now I have relationships with those men. So, I learned the importance of male friendships outside of the family.
0: That's a great lesson uh, i I think one of the lessons that my dad taught me was was patience with uh, a new generation of of outdoors men or outdoors women uh You know, I think there's a proverb that that must say, uh, teach a child to fish and try not to go crazy in the process.
1: (laughs) Uh, Because,
0: you know, when my brothers and I were learning to fish, and and he taught us to fish before he taught us to hunt, uh, obviously, because you don't carry a gun at 10. Actually, that's not true. My dad gave me a shotgun, an Ithaca uh, single-shot 20-gauge when I was 10, (laughs) 10 years old. Can you believe that? uh no i didn't i mean i did i kept it in my room but you know the ammunition wasn't anywhere near to be found i don't know where it was and i and i knew that i you know, just wasn't what i i would go find it anyway but uh yeah really we we learned to fish first and i i remember one year we were camped in the white mountains in new hampshire i was nine years old and and my brother Dave and I were spin fishing this rushing trout stream (laughs) and all I can remember from that experience is seeing my dad he had taken his shoes off rolled up his pant legs and he spent the better part of the next two hours waiting in ice cold water uh, dislodging our Meps number two spinners from every rock and every log jam in the creek. And of course, I was excited when he told us that we were hooking into a lot of bottom bass, and I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know at the time. At the time that bottom bass was code for a snag on a rock. And you know, if my dad hadn't been patient, I think my love for trout fishing would have been uh, would have been delayed, or maybe I would have been discouraged uh, completely. And so I've, I've tried to practice that patience with my own children. Now, whether or not I've succeeded, that's another story. But uh, but my two adult sons love to fly fish, so I guess I didn't ruin them with uh, too many fits of impatience when they, you know, snag their uh, flies on a pine tree limb or my fly fishing vest with their back ass. But there's, there's a lot to learn, and I think one thing my dad had helped me with was was just being patient, maybe not only with uh, not only with kids, but with new uh, fly fishers, with new or, or new fishers, with new hunters, uh, because there's a learning curve to whatever you do, and and even when I've uh, uh, helped adults try to catch on to uh, uh, f- fly fishing, especially even a time or two when uh, I remember we took uh, uh, friends from Pennsylvania. Uh, who came out to Montana wanted to hunt elk, and they got, you know, they're uh, fortunate enough to get their permits. That that we'd take them, and man, there was a learning curve, and sometimes I, I found it a little bit frustrating. But, uh, yeah, that that patience really, uh, that that's that's a lesson that stuck with me. Dave, what else have you has your dad taught
1: you? Another lesson is that being consistent as a man when you're with other men. So being Mm -hmm. who you are, uh, not just when you're around, let's say family, but also being consistent with who you are when you're with other men. So about 10 years ago, we started hunting at least one of the days when we go back in the fall with another man who is now 80. He has a great dog. In fact, the dog was killed last year uh, he got hit on the interstate and killed his dog, guy he got run into in the back. It's a really sad story. But mm. anyway, so he's a passionate goose hunter, amazing hunter. I mean, he is so intense. We love going with him because he has all the decoys and he has access to like 20,000 acres around where we hunt. You know, he has permission to hunt on this area from all the farmers and ranchers. So we love hunting with him. And so we would do, we'd take him pheasant hunting, he would take us goose hunting and so this guy is the best storyteller ever. and But many of his stories, they're filled with expletives, and they're really what my parents would call dirty jokes. Filthy jokes, and not appropriate for young boys. But, of course, my boys were there, because I always took my boys there. So it must have been about five or six years ago, so Corey at this point, who's now 19... He was 13 or 14, right at pubescence, right? And so this guy, Stan, tells this dirty Oli and Lena joke, you know, and it's, it, you know, it was just so inappropriate to, to tell that joke with a 13-year-old boy there. And honestly, it was a little bit funny, but not funny if you have a 13-year-old boy. Corey heard the story and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And it was after the morning hunt. And so it was about 11 a.m. We were about to pick up the decoy. So this joke is told. And my dad is standing there and he is not laughing. He, his face looks like, what, what, I mean, it looks like Mount Rushmore. I mean, there is no smile on his face. And, and, and so while Corey is laughing, it's really clear that my father is displeased with this hunter. And this has been true through the years with this hunter. And every time he tells a dirty joke, my dad doesn't laugh. And just as my dad would not laugh if somebody, if a family member told a joke like that, he'd be obviously wouldn't just laugh, but uh, <laughs> would be very unhappy. It's this, he was, he's the same way. He's not a chameleon, right? And there's a sense of character that is consistent across his life. And I have nothing but great, great respect for that, and and it it it's really taught me how to be a man and how to be consistent in all circumstances, in all situations. Mm.
0: Wow, that is a, that's an amazing lesson, and yeah, I it just bothers me when I'm around people that are, you know, one way around this group, another way around another group, and. Yeah, consistent, consistent character. That is such a, yeah, such an important virtue. And, man, is, isn't it true that, that those kinds of lessons are sometimes best learned in, in the outdoors? Yeah. You know, I think you, you can learn them in, in sports or in, in, you know, other aspects of life. But, wow, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, when you're hunting, you're fishing, other outdoor pursuits, they're, they're a microcosm of... of life in general. Maybe they even magnify life a bit. So that's, boy, that that character,
1: that consistency
0: of character is so important.
1: So Steve, what was uh, another lesson that your father taught you? Well, another
0: lesson my dad taught me was preparation. And this was mainly in the area of hunting. Boy, my dad was big on scouting out the areas where we were going to hunt. And maybe he got some of that from my from my grandfather his dad because back in northern pennsylvania in mckean county where we hunted my uh, my grandfather would would go in you know weeks before and he and my my dad and his brothers had hunted this particular area for years so they knew where all the game trails were and and my grandpa would pile firewood by our, what we called our stands. They weren't tree stands, they were just places that we stood. And now that's another interesting thing. I never realized you can hunt deer over a fire. The fire doesn't phase them a bit. It's just if you move, you know, if you put wood on the fire, they'll, they'll notice it. But uh, so we used to hunt, you know, we'd, we'd the, the first day or the first two days of hunting season, we'd, we'd stand almost the whole day because other hunters are moving deer around. and. we'd stand over a fire, but my grandfather would go in there and gather firewood. But I remember my dad, different times that we were going to hunt, we'd go in and check out, uh, you know, even in the summer and where the game trails and, you know, what what would be good places for clear shots. And so that was one aspect of it. I, I also remember, man, my dad was a researcher, and I remember one year... Shortly after he moved to Montana, he was getting a mountain rifle built by uh, a guy by the name of David Gentry, and Gentry Mountain Rifles, and and this is before, uh, you know, now you can go into about any sporting goods store, and you can get a, you know, rifle with a Kevlar stock, and the matte finish, and, but uh, David Gentry was one of the pioneers in all of this, and so my dad had researched this, and he even researched, uh, you know, what caliber, and my dad decided, uh, you know, that, man, we, we, ought to, we ought to try a 280 Remington, you know, 7mm Express that has the has the punch of an 06, but maybe the flat shooting of a 270, and I remember my dad giving me, you know, a, a stack of articles on, you know, a 280 Remington, and and then when it came to uh, getting ready for hunting season, man, we would sight in our rifles or or when we lived in Illinois, you had to hunt with shotgun and slugs. And uh, when well, my dad figured out a, a great setup, we'd, we'd use, uh, we had the, these Ithaca Model 37 shotguns We'd put a slug barrel on it, which was basically a, an improved cylinder. And then I don't know where he got the idea, but we would put a long eye relief two power scope on that thing. And. But we'd cite we'd those in, and uh, I have to laugh, we'd go to one of my uncles, uh, hunt with him over near the, the Mississippi River, and uh, we'd get there, and my uncle would be, hey, where's, I, wonder where my, uh, I wonder where my slug barrel is, my scope, and he'd put it on, <laughs> and he'd, he'd use a boar cider, you probably yeah. used those before, which kind of gets you on paper, but it's like, you gotta be kidding me. Of course, he would always get his deer, it drove us crazy. But, uh, man, it was, yeah that, that was huge. The preparation, the, the right equipment. Yeah, even scopes. Uh, you know, we, we use loophole scopes uh, for years. We didn't go with the cheaper thing. Dad said, this is one place you got to, you, know, you got to put your money into a good scope. You don't want it fogging up about the time you're ready to take a shot. So, I, I think when it comes to fly fishing, that's why I've always been big on preparation for a trip and and on having the right equipment, that doesn't necessarily mean the most expensive equipment, but uh, you need to have the, the right things along and so, yeah, that, that preparation, whatever, uh, whatever preparation I do, it's really due to what my dad taught me. Dave, how about another one? What's something else you learned from your dad?
1: One final lesson That I learned from my dad is that the outdoors is not the sum of life, and it's part of an integrated life. And growing up, I, I wish we had had more money, you know, that we had a boat. We never had a boat, right? We always fished on the shore. So we lived in North Dakota, and as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we just had great fishing. I mean, even today, there are so many of these small little potholes and lakes that are filled with some filled with walleye most of them are filled with northern pike crappie bass and so you can go out and fish on shore and catch your limit I mean it's uh, it's amazing and then you have lake you know Sakakawea or Sacagawea whatever you want to say up north that is just oh it's just amazing fishing for walleye but so we were surrounded by fishing and we fished but it didn't define my father and he loved to hunt and fish but he wasn't obsessed by it. The The outdoors were part of the whole and not the essence of life and if there's one thing that I've taken away probably it's that and, um, and so my, my father worked really hard. He has kind of a larger than life personality and he's just really well known in North Dakota and South Dakota. In fact he told me the other day that in the last year he counted that he had 22 friends that had died. And I, you know, and I was thinking friends, really, those are all friends, but they were all people that he knew some of whom he had, you know, had lunch with maybe had been in their homes because of his work as this executive director of an organization, he was just so well known and he was loved. So he had, he was very passionate about his work. And so his, he, he did, it wasn't working for the weekend right and so I'm not going to criticize those who who do that but uh, but that wasn't what was modeled for me so the outdoors were very important but they were only um, but it was only part of this larger picture of life so just recently dad and I have had this conversation when he is not going to hunt deer anymore in fact this last fall may have been his last uh, may have been his last year and Um, He shot a really nice four-point Western count. It may have been even five-point. I I can't remember. But my nephew, Andrew, my sister's son, was with him. And hearing Andrew describe the joy that my father had and how excited he was after he dropped this buck, I thought, man, I hope I am like that at 85. And while he still loves to hunt... He still has this other part of his life and so there's a great sadness that i have if he stops hunting deer now he'll probably still go with us uh, we're going out this fall again um, to hunt to hunt pheasants and, and geese but it he just modeled for me this idea of a fully integrated life of which the outdoors is one part but it's not the only part and and that has really served me well i think um and it's it it's made it so that i i'm not working for the weekend and there's other parts of my life other than just the outdoors
0: and doesn't that make you enjoy the outdoors even more dave i mean my my dad did that too and and you know, life was about something larger than the outdoors. The, the outdoors played a huge role in it, but I, I know that balance has been really helpful for me. Well, hey, here's a final lesson I learned from my dad, and that's the value of, well, I wanna say this, it's the value of teamwork or, or maybe enjoying outdoor pursuits uh, with, with others. And, and I'm thinking of hunting, particularly with my dad, but this could apply to fishing as well. I mean, sometimes these become solitary pursuits and there, there are times where both you and I have fished or hunted by ourselves. And there, there's some, you know, there's some, something what cathartic about that. Uh, there's something enjoyable about doing that as a solitary thing. But I, I also find great joy in doing this together with, uh, with friends and with family. And, I remember when we deer hunted we would drive uh, I to put that word in quotes uh, drive it's not driving vehicles but you know, if we're hunting a section of timber we would often you know we'd stand the, the morning and then the later in the afternoon you know when the deer seemed to be moving but other times we would put somebody at, at the you know, at the bottom of a draw and then we would we'd have a couple guys walk through it in hopes of maybe moving the animals through that right past that person. And, you know, when we hunted elk in Montana, that, that's one of the, it was one of the best memories I have with my dad uh, during archery season, right during the rut is, uh, is, you know, hunting elk. I can't tell you how many big bulls that we had within 15 or 20 yards. And what we finally figured out is we would have, uh, uh, one guy kind of hanging back maybe 20 to 30 yards behind during doing the calling because those elk man they would zero in whether you were using a bull bugle or whether you were using a cow call which we probably used 75 percent of the time but those elk would zero in in that so uh you know those elk that would only come within 40 yards of, of that call you'd get him into 20 yards of, of the guys who were in front and and I, I think the thing that stands out is that my dad was probably the best elk hunter I ever met who never shot an elk and that's because he gave the shots to his boys or to others that he was hunting with it was his brother I, I remember one time he had his brother uh, up uh, near Gardner Montana hunting and he came back and shot this nice I think it was a six point you know six by six bowl and they're like oh dad why didn't you take that show well this is his only chance to so that 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 was my dad's uh you know story and I, I think yeah as it applies to fishing obviously or fly fishing this is a little more challenge i mean uh good night when i drive the fish by you you never seem to catch them <laughs> do that i walk up and they scatter they come right by you and you never get them <laughs> but but uh yeah seriously you and i do work as a team i mean we uh you know will one of us tries one pattern in size the other tries something else we're, we're there netting each other's fish we're comparing notes we're uh yeah they're, they're little things but when you and i fish together i i think of us as a team rather than just two guys who happen to be fly fishing on their own and i I really do think that that's something that I I picked up from my dad.
1: I think we've also slowed down a bit. You know, you catch a fish, I stop, take a picture. I catch a fish, you stop fishing, take a picture. Um there's definitely a a much greater sense of team, I think be- between the two of us than than there's ever been. Yeah,
0: and maybe I'm maybe I'm saying kind of ending with something that you began with you know earlier when you, know, you you learn how to be with with other guys and and I think there is something about outdoor pursuits like fly fishing like hunting where you uh, you do learn the not only the value but even the joy of sharing it with somebody else and I, I think because my dad uh, shared that uh, you know, with me, with my brothers, and, and even as we shared that with a larger family, with his dad, with my dad's brother. Uh, yeah, th- those are those are great memories. Yeah, and I, I think with that, some of the best lessons you'll learn about the art outdoors do get passed down from dads to kids. Uh, you know, there, there's an old Ricky Skag song, Thanks Again, that says it well. Uh, there, there's a line, there's a section in that where he says, Uh, So thanks again for the love in the cradle and all of the changes that kept me dry. And thanks again for the love at our table and patting my bottom when I told you a lie, for taking me fishing and flying my kites and tucking me in, yes, night after night, uh, to my beautiful lifelong friends. Hey, mom and daddy, thanks again. And, you know, when I think of my dad, uh, man, I'm, I'm so thankful for... Uh, just his, his imprint on my life. And I realize a lot of those lessons, a lot of those conversations, you know, even if they, they weren't always about hunting or fishing, you know, they were about life. They were about, you know, our faith. They were, you know, about work. Uh, a lot of those happened in those uh, outdoor settings. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really
1: made a difference. I would just add that uh, for... For mothers or fathers. Uh, you can't control how you were raised, as I mentioned earlier, but you can shape uh, the future of those who are in your care. And, and even if you're not a father, you can affect the lives of others around you. I just realized in the last few months how important it is for me to be a mentor to my brother's kids who are now coming up. Now, my older three kids are gone and my two boys don't hunt with us anymore. My older daughter never did and I am bringing my younger daughter uh, this fall but the boys don't come anymore so it'll be Jalen and me but yet my brother's kids who are about 10 years behind uh, our kids, uh, not quite 10 years, but they're starting to go in the fall and I I found myself after last fall thinking you know this just isn't as fun as it used to be and then I caught myself recently I thought you know it's my job now as an uncle to be one of the older men and and so it's now time for me to invest in someone else's kids I need to be that person right and and you can be that person and I think uh, you know, a day like Father's Day, sometimes it brings about memories of kind of a tough childhood or wishing we had a father, but I just think we can only control the future. And so shaping other people's lives, I think, is possible for every one of us. It's
0: time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from David on our recent podcast on eight places to cast your drive uh, David writes, Nice podcast, you guys pretty much covered it all. I have only one more spot for you to try, and that is where any small stream or brook enters the bigger stream you are fishing. Right where the two meet, especially in warmer months, can produce several fish. My belief as to why that could be is that colder, more oxygenated waters enter the larger stream, and trout seek that spot for just that reason during warmer water conditions. Give it a try, you might be surprised.
1: Boy, you know what that reminds me of? I think right where uh, Canfield Creek flows into the south branch of the route, uh, in the warmer months, there's that great run right there. The problem is that it's right by a trail. It's right when people come down the trail. But you wonder if in warmer months, right there, and maybe we get on the opposite side of the river, cross the bridge and get in there, and then fish that run that where that... Uh, creek flows into the south branch of the route I wonder if that might work that's a great idea
0: oh it really is I can't believe we didn't we didn't uh, think of that because actually we've we've done that a lot I, there's a couple of places uh, it, on the Yellowstone River in Paradise Valley right near where my folks lived I used to walk up from their house or down to the river and then I would walk up river to where um, Oh man, one of the creeks used to flow in. Uh, it's driving me crazy. Uh, it was even before you got to where Mill Creek would flow in, although that was another place. Uh, but but these creeks would flow in, and, and yeah, you know, there were always fish hanging out there. And uh, yeah, that, that thanks David for uh, reminding us of that. That's a really important place to fish. Well, that's going to do it for today. Hey, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And
1: I'm Dave Goetz.
0: Until next time, we are two young guys and a river.
1: (laughs) For the love of fly
0: fishing.